0: Welcome to the Forest Educator Podcast. I'm Ricardo Sierra. It's really my great pleasure to have my wife, Trista Haggerty, on the podcast today. Trista has been my partner for 27 years, maybe a little more. And one of the things that I can say about her is that she is someone who is a force of nature in a very real way. Thank you so much for being here, Trista.
1: Super excited.
0: Yeah. We've been together for such a long time and it's it sometimes as easy in the early years for people to say, oh, Ricardo has this like summer camp. He's really into nature and getting a lot of attention. But when I first met you, we're starting a school you were doing nature workshops with children. Like, you re- Nature has been something that you've really woven through your whole life.
1: Yeah. I First of all, I was really fortunate to grow up in this area where we live in Cooperstown. Mm-hmm. So my family and I, we always lived out in the country. And my dad was really into chopping firewood and hunting and doing all those kinds of things. And we would always go berry picking and and had a big garden. And so it was just always my way of life. And I remember going to college in Boston. And in Boston, comparatively, is a really small, very quaint city, a good city for somebody sure. like me to, you know, to go to school in. But I remember just at that time being on campus with all these brick buildings and the paved sidewalks and all of that stuff I would always seek out nature so there was like this little a little pond with some trees and so forth that I would go there especially on the weekends or if I was upset about something because growing up I always as a teenager I always went to the lake in Cooperstown because I just loved I loved the feeling of that lake and the big willow tree that I used to lean up against. They just were such an important part of my life. And so when I got to college, I found the pond and the little nature area. And I was always usually like the only one there. Also across the road from the campus, I remember there was this garden shop. And so they always had lots of plants and they sold Christmas trees and things like that. And so, That was what I did on the weekends. Not much going to parties, but (laughs) going and hanging out in nature.
0: Right, exactly. I remember. I think I remember you saying a story about taking your some of your friends at the college apple picking or something like that, which is a great way to to reconnect, just to take a break from all the schooling and learning and everything else.
1: Yeah, I think that was like my first uh, beginning of putting together like little mini programs or whatever, because I would get everybody together and we'd go apple picking and we'd come back and make apple pies. And Christmas time, I always had a cookie decorating, bringing a little bit of that home experience to the campus. So it was fun.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to me, like just how you started when your children needed a place to go to school either preschool or whatever, it seemed like you turned to nature pretty quickly as well. And I'm just curious uh, about that process for you. What what was that like trying to pick a school that would work for them?
1: Yeah. At the time when our older two kids were born, I was living up in Vermont with them. And in rural Vermont, we lived out in the country and that That was just what we did every single day. We'd go outdoors. I had a couple friends with little kids where we would go hiking. We'd go to a lake, go swimming, and our backyard was part woods. It was all fenced in, but you couldn't really even see the fence. So you had this feeling that you were just out in the woods and the backyard. And and that's just that was something that I was always doing. It was just so much a part of our life. With little kids, I think when you're in the house a lot, the energy kind of starts bouncing off the walls. And so it wasn't as much for them as it was for me.
0: For you, yeah.
1: Let's just get outdoors and do some fun things and get tired. And then I actually, I did start actually putting together some nature programs for kids in the area, just for a couple summers. But when they started school, when they started preschool, it was a small preschool that was in our town. It was just where everybody went. And I remember having a real problem with it (laughs) because it just, it, it was, they just had a lot of different like rooms and it was like filled with toys, each room. And so the kids would just go from room to room when it got, really chaotic. And my kids were always pretty sensitive to being overstimulated in that way. And they were used to being outdoors where it's not, it's such a beautiful stimulation, but it's more inspiring than it is overloading. And so I just remember, I just remember watching to see like, how are they experiencing this? And it just felt like such an overload. I, I felt like they were being dumped on. Right. So I actually very rather quickly found a Waldorf school and enrolled them in that for preschool. And then we moved back to this area in upstate New York. And actually the school that they would be going to was the same school that I went to in elementary school as a kid. And I just, at that time, I really felt like they needed an environment that was much more nurturing, for one thing. Maybe that's how we all feel when our kids first start going to school and away from home. Sure, uh, sure. But I wanted them to have the, I didn't want them to lose the magic. I guess that's what it was. Right, right. Time, I had traveled to Ireland. I went on one of, one of my first, not the first, but one of my first sacred journeys with my mentor and teacher, Helena, the And when I was there, I really I went through different initiations that really got me in touch with being more in alignment with the natural world and the old ancient goddess traditions. And so when I got home, it was like nothing fit anymore. Anything that was created by man, all of our major institutions, religious institutions the schools, the hospitals, you name it, everything that was created in that way with all of these different agendas that aren't necessarily serving humanity, especially our children, they just, I just could not, I just couldn't stomach them. (laughs) And I was in tears the first day that I brought my son into kindergarten, Matthew, and because it just... I just knew that all of a sudden they were going to be plugged into the system where it was all about just filling them with information to produce a certain outcome. It wasn't about helping them to discover themselves,
0: helping them to
1: discover the magic in nature and foster that incredible relationship with the natural world. It was just really the opposite of that. And yeah, so I started, and that was when we met. I had just started that small school that started as a homeschool group and went from there for a few years, but I was maybe a little ahead of my time. (laughs) It was hard to get parents to leave the traditional system.
0: We were also living in an area where it's a very small community. So I would imagine if we had lived in a a city that was a little bit larger or adjacent to a bigger uh, urban area or population, we probably could have found a bigger community of people that were supportive.
1: Yeah, Yeah, local
0: really matters a lot in these things.
1: Yeah, it's possible. I remember so many parents wanting to leave the public system. But there were all the promises, the promises of success and the promises of getting into good schools and all of those, all of those different promises that you're afraid, what if I make a different decision and I ruin my child's life?
0: Right. Yeah.
1: I think parents now, they're much more savvy to alternative schooling.
0: Yeah. Yeah, That's what they say now is that homeschoolers just typically have better grades, do better performance-wise for a lot of colleges. And so the data kind of supports what you already intuitively knew back then. The data has really now filled in the gaps. So it's definitely much more acceptable and seems like it's on its way, even though it's only like 13% of the population is homeschooled, but- uh, Yeah, Yeah,
1: yeah. no, for me, I think even way back then, I just felt that if they were in an environment where they felt safe physically, yeah. obviously, but emotionally safe as well to really be who they are and to ask questions and have that time and space to really reach for what they were wanting to learn as opposed to having it pushed on them. Mm-hmm. I felt that they would establish those inner resources where they could succeed at anything, whatever they wanted to succeed at, just a very much more learning from the inside out. As opposed mm-hmm. to the other way. And I still believe that.
0: <laughs> sure. Well, definitely. I know you do. And I know that there is that heavy emphasis on intellectual learning, which kind of like just fills your mind and with like lots of ideas and things and facts and so forth, which has its place in some ways, but it's, it just seems like we do that a little too early, too early, too soon for most children to really thrive, I guess. Uh, yeah.
1: I, I remember having a child in my homeschool group who was seven and he was brilliant. He was just a brilliant, he just knew so much history. He could rattle off dates and historical events and he was just brilliant, but he was so in his head and so disconnected from his body. And I thought one day I was like, I'm going to take them on this certain trail in the woods, and I'm not going to point out the things that you can trip on, because I wanted them to really it, out. be yeah. in their body. You know? And when we first started, like I had suspected, he was tripping over every, every single thing, because he wasn't really paying attention to his feet. He was just so in his head. But by the end of the hike, he was so much more embodied yeah you know, he was just really careful of where he was putting his feet and it was just it was really wonderful to watch
0: yeah and nature's so good for that because it's something you don't have to verbalize and intellectualize you just do it it's i i recognize that too sometimes when i go out into the forest or i go out and i have to cross a stream and i have to balance and can kind it of jump from rock to rock and it can feel really awkward in the beginning but then as the hike goes on, half an hour later, my I stop trying to tell my brain how to jump from rock to rock, and you just let your body just do it, and then it's easy. But you have to make that shift if you, especially if you haven't been out in the woods in a while. Yeah, I totally get that. That how that could really help and benefit uh, someone like that, a young person, just naturally brilliant, but also <laughs> filled to the brim with uh, all that good stuff. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious too, one of the things I, I thought would be cool to talk about, interesting to talk about would be um, just mentioning the fact that you have been a mentor for a lot of people at our place here for so long uh, because we've run these like wilderness camps and we've run lots of workshops and semester programs. And many times people come here and they'll stay for six months or nine months or a year, sometimes two years. And, and it's always fascinated me how people might show up at our place to learn, say, wilderness skills from like me or Barry Keegan or whoever. But then as soon as they are aware that they can connect with you and work with you on healing uh, wild edibles, things like that, they just gravitate. It was always really impressive to see how they would gravitate towards you and about and anything you would offer they would just eat up. And that just really showed me that, you know, you have something that people who people are hungry for. And I just, I didn't know if you felt like sharing a little bit about that process of mentoring those young people uh, that were here at our place to be instructors or students.
1: I always really loved the young people and our staff and apprentices and so forth Mm -hmm. who came here. Um, And it was a lot of the young women that I really appreciated that would seek me out and oftentimes say, like, what if if I had never come here, I would never have found you. You're like hidden in the woods. And at that time, I was like super comfortable with that. And even sometimes now, (laughs) run and hide in the woods. But yeah, I think I had. Stumbled at a fairly young age back then, we're talking 30 some years ago. I had stumbled upon the lack of the feminine, and I had become very aware through my own challenges of how our culture, how our society has really not integrated that piece in. Of course, now we're at a much, I think, a much different place, Mm -hmm. Um, although are still learning this but there's certainly an awareness about it but the way that all of our um, systems and education and so forth have been set up has been from a much more of a masculine point of view Mm -hmm. so I knew for myself as a young girl in school I had to really figure out like how do I be in this world because it's not the way I'm naturally it's not my natural way of being it's not my natural way thinking. And, and so I think because I I stumble, I use the word stumbled because I didn't consciously seek it out. I stumbled upon it when I met Helena, my mentor and teacher, and I started right. traveling sacred sites with her and experiencing these ancient cultures and the way that they lived life and thought. And so I think when the a lot of the young women came here they could sense that inside of me that I had that I had some of the answers to that or that I had made that journey and that I could help guide them to that journey because it is and it's not just women but it's men too there's a inner starvation for that that feminine nature and the oh. primal nature and so I think when we see that somebody else carries that truth. We just just want to hang out with them and find out what's the secret to opening to that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's true that it's all well and good to learn a a new aspect of animal tracking or to learn a new technique for making cordage or some of these things, these little tactics or strategies or whatever that are intellectual and also working with your hands. But then there's this whole other side of it, which is about like what you're just saying, like where you're accepting a part of who you are, you're looking at your relationships, you're looking at how how you experience the world and what those struggles are. And you really have the capacity to be able to hold that really wonderful space for those people to really go through some really profound awakenings, if you will. And you just do it in a way that's not even, it's not something that is set up, you know what I mean? It's not like you're just telling them about healing, but it's actually holding that space and letting something happen. And maybe it doesn't happen, but it's just that there's this opportunity there, right? It's like, yeah, an yeah, it's, um,
1: it's like with anything, you can't tell. Yeah. You can't tell, like you can, but it becomes this intellectual understanding. Right. It's not embodied understanding. You really need the experience, which is something that we did at the camps for the kids, gave them experiences. But a lot of times for me, it was very difficult for me back then to mm. run a program that was about guiding people through some sort of an in- initiation because I just didn't, I was coming from such an organic space with it that I, it was difficult for me to be like, oh, if I put something together, there's A plus B plus C. There's all these different components to it that will lead to this certain result. And instead, it's still much easier for me to work with people in what their life is presenting, because that's our greatest classroom. And so that's a lot of what I did with The Apprentices. We had such a rich community of young people here, there was always stuff coming up. <laughs> such a fertile ground for oh, wow. them all, all to learn. And yeah. so it really just about helping tweak their awareness, oh. which is something that you taught, awareness when you're walking through the woods and so forth. And I was teaching that inner awareness mm-hmm. of when certain situations, certain challenges would come up for them in our small community.
0: Right. Yeah, it's really interesting how our relationships and our communities provide this very powerful uh, mirror for healing and growth. So get that mirror and then go, Ooh, I don't like that. That's something that I want to change or, Hey, that person's doing something I don't like. And then they look at, look inside and they go, Hey, I think I don't like what they're doing because that's what I do. It's, I'm that way because I'm like talkative. I will talk, talk. And then I'll hang out with somebody that talks a lot and I'll be like, oh, that person's irritating. And I'm like, I know why.
1: <laughs> I've never heard you say that before. I keep my mouth shut. Yeah, yeah. probably wouldn't have years ago. I
0: would have it <laughs> out. <too. laughs> exactly. Well, yeah. that's what's wonderful about it is that you just, sometimes you need that person to say what you need to say. Just, you were like referring in a way like I, as a kid, I used to read a lot of Russian folk tales and myths and so forth and stories. And the one about Baba Yaga hidden away in the forest, in a cabin that's on chicken legs that moves around and the walls are studded with human skulls. <laughs> it's like this like scary person. And you have to go there and try to get something from them. And I feel like that person's going to be the bluntest person. Like they're just going to let it let you have it, right? And that's sometimes how it feels when you go and you're trying to like work through something and someone just cuts through the, the stuff and just lays <laughs> it out. Not intentionally for to be hurtful, but laying it out.
1: Are you comparing me?
0: <laughs> not to Baba you, Yaga, but <laughs> okay. because you're not, you're the opposite of Baba Yaga in terms of like, yeah. no, there's, not, there's really, there really isn't anything like t- ter- terrifying or, or scary about you at all. But at the same time, because you represent this like this world of like really transparent or healing or truth, that can be pretty uh, scary for people, I would imagine.
1: Yeah, I've got yeah. I've heard that. I've heard that recently from some of my yeah. students. Not that they're afraid of me; they're afraid of what I know or see. I think. Yeah. yeah I, but I, when we first got together for the first several years, I never read the book men are from Mars, women are from Venus, right? Is that the right. name of the book? I never read that, but certainly lived it with you. Because <laughs> remember, we would, it was always when we were driving in the car, especially on Route 20, we'd be in a conversation, and you'd be like, I do not know what you're talking about. And and we just would experience that tr- talking about the same thing, but using such a different language or coming from it from such different perspectives right. that it would take us such a long time to wade through all the muck to come to the one common ground. Right? You remember that or did you block oh, it?
0: it? Like it was yesterday. <laughs> it's so funny because it's, just, it's frustrating when you're trying to figure these things out and also when you're younger, there's so much, to me anyway, there's so much ego tied up in being right or wanting to cling to my worldview that I think I have control over it. Having ADHD really throws a, a wild card wrench into this mix as well. But boy, it's, it's really an amazing experience to have time with someone like you or Colleen Helena, that you would go to those sacred places. I would imagine like you had a really wonderful relationship with her, but also it might've been a little scary when she says, Hey, let's crawl into this cave or, Hey, we're going to this temple and we're going to be there in the middle of the night or something like that. You're like having to trust her, but still you never know.
1: When I was in my, I met her when I was in my late twenties, right? and That in itself was intimidating experience just getting to her place i remember it was the first time i went to see her to meet her for the right. first time i was driving up this mountain road in vermont and it was in march which is mud season Ooh. and it was pouring out and it was dark because i didn't want to go until i had the kids in bed so it was later at night and i i Yeah. I just remember like at times I wasn't even on a road. I was like driving over roots of trees and I was like, I do not even know how they can call this a road because her house at that time was the very last one on the road Mm -hmm. and walking into her house. I just remember standing at her doorway and seeing flower pots and a stack of wood, like a cord of wood. And Those were like the only two things that were familiar to me (laughs) because I walked into her house and there were like plants hanging from the ceiling and there were statues from all over the world on the shelves and on her counters and crystals and it was just I had never been in a house like that before. Sure, our my family's house and my house at the time was more like, oh, let's choose a colonial decor and you exactly. design your house accordingly. You know, it was never that creative inspired, just kind of a witch's house. That's what it felt well, like.
0: Yeah. It's like a it's like someone who's just want really immersing themselves in like mythology and initiations and the symbology for all those things yeah, it really, it's just a completely different mindset. So it's really natural. It would be different. 100%. And
1: it took me a while, like, it it took me a couple trips to really feel like I understood her language. Like, Mm -hmm. a lot of times she was speaking about things, and it felt there was such a resonance of truth.
0: Mm -hmm. But
1: I really didn't understand what she was talking about. And I hear that from some of my students now, they'll be like, I don't, I don't know what, I just do not understand what you're talking about, which is fine because really like when they travel with me or or in one of my programs or retreats, it's really about the experience, but it's something begins to stir awake just like it did with me where all over time, all of a sudden you're like, I, not only do I understand this, but it has now become my language as well.
0: Yeah, that happens for me when I was, I, in fact, I was just teaching this uh, a couple of days ago, where you're talking about learning about how to age animal tracks. And it's just the strangest experience because you're just like staring at marks in the ground day after day. And they don't even make sense. Like the mark you make yesterday looks 10 times older in your mind than the one from two weeks ago. And you're just like, what is going on? I'm just going to keep staring and trust. And then all of a sudden, like three months later, if you keep going, you just realize, hey, I can actually age tracks to within 15 minutes of when they were made. Yeah. Like, because it just suddenly like crystallized. You get enough of a, of data in your system. And for you, maybe it's like you you get enough of immersed in that understanding or that, I don't know what you call it, just the, the environment or that container. Yeah,
1: it's that and it's it's like an unraveling of what, how we've been conditioned to think and believe. Right. So again, the more we shift into our, our natural way of being mm-hmm. and our own inner nature, the less aligned we are with the societal beliefs and the ideas that have been imposed on us for who knows why. A lot of times, I'd love peeling back the layers to discover a much deeper truth. And yeah. looking at oh, there's an agenda here. That's why this has become so important in society. I love dismantling all of that because then we can we free ourselves. Yeah, you know, we ourselves of that kind of those restrictions that we don't even always realize are restrictions until we start loosening up the the hold on us. Right, the know? grip.
0: Yeah. I think it probably took me about 20 years of being with you and just to recognize for you, you were like, let's dig into this. And for me, it was like terrifying. And just being like, I'm going to lose everything I've ever built up and everything I've imagined is just going to be blown apart. And you were like, let's just do it. And I'm like, no. And yeah, you know, know. It I- to, not because I didn't trust you, but just because I didn't really quite get it. And then- now I am okay with it, I guess you'd say. <laughs>
1: yeah, and I don't think I realized how frightening it was for you because that's not what you would have said at the time. But
0: right. Well, I might um, have said some sarcastic comment and walked away and created a fight or something. It's be like, okay. <laughs> so that's right. how it's going to be, huh? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and for me, like I have – I've always loved digging into, digging into things.
0: Sure,
1: And I've worked with people, too, who will say that they don't like doing shadow work, because that's what it's referred to a lot. And because they're afraid of what they're going to find. And I think right. that's really common with people. If I mm. dig around, what am I going to find? Because a lot of times they're thinking, I'm going to find something that's really horrible or something right. that's really Unacceptable. bad about yeah. And when it's really the opposite, because... Our shadow is running our lives. Mm -hmm. Like when say, "I don't know my shadow," I'm like, "Oh yes, you do. (laughs) Just look at all the challenges in your life and all the things that are tripping you up. That's your shadow. It it will run your life." To me, the (laughs) whole journey inward is just—it's so fascinating, and I love how. People experience it in different ways, because I like to just walk next to a person as they I help them go inward because the way that they see things and the thoughts that come to the to me are so fascinating as opposed to me giving them that guidance
0: right absolutely. i I, I saw that a lot in in over the years of running the camp where you know a lot of times young people, I don't want to say that they're young, they are younger, but there's most of us have like an aversion to uh, thinking, like, oh, I hurt someone's feelings or someone's mad at me. And so then as soon as you realize someone's mad at you or upset, then you start building up a case. And then the whole idea of confronting or trying to resolve it just becomes this like emotional nightmare that's just like eating you up inside and all that. And I just remember uh, coming together with you sometimes, and having a meeting like a staff meeting where you would just masterfully create a, a safe place, present some stuff, and then go through it and just help everyone find their truth and also find a, some new ways. And it was amazing because it just people could start to let go of that fear, and then whatever a week later they have the same thing happen, but. Or similar situation because it just keeps coming up. But at the same time, it's just amazing how much we just resist that feeling of vulnerability, or just the thought of someone being upset at something we did. It's just it's excruciating for so many people.
1: Yeah, it's certainly no fun to feel that. But I like to enter into those situations with um, curiosity Mm. to just be like, oh, I wonder what the situation is going to. Present to all of us. I wonder what new thing can come out of this because everything's just like nature, it's in a constant state of change, in a constant state of growth. And for some reason, as human beings, we have felt that we've needed to control that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably because through control comes the illusion of safety. But really, we're just like nature. If we can just allow the change, and allow the, the growth to happen, we're flowing with it much more. But we right. tend to hold back. We tend to categorize things. We tend to resist change. Certainly the death of things, the death of a relationship or the dismantling of our world that we see going on in many ways, it's not, it's certainly not always easy. But right. that's one of the things I like to point out to people that when you have a real deep connection with the natural world and you're familiar, you have this intimate relationship with the change of the seasons, then you understand that the death process is not the end of things, but it's the beginning of another cycle. Right. And I think that can really help us internally when we feel like we're in a place of losing everything. Right. that. It's the end of a cycle and the beginning of something brand new. And what is that going to be like?
0: Yeah, we can be walking through the forest and saying, "Hey, I feel like I'm losing this, I'm losing that," and then all the trees are looking around at us, going, "Hey, we just lost all our leaves, and we're going to sleep for three months or four months." We get it. It's like that mirror for us of being able to let go and just experience that.
1: And it's um, like the trees. The, yeah. the situation. If they didn't drop their leaves and have their sap go down into their roots and really spend that time in dormancy and gathering up all those nutrients from the earth, then they would they topple over. And I think that's what happens to a lot of us because we will work and work and not go into that. We avoid the darkness We avoid the quiet months and try to keep busy and we miss out on that nourishment.
0: Yeah, no, that's really true. It's interesting too, that you talked about those, creating those elements of the initiation to facilitate programs and and things in the beginning of this conversation. And I always talked about it, like for Hawk Circle, that we have a Hawk Circle recipe, what's like making chocolate chip cookies or something where you're like, oh, we got eggs, we got flour, butter, chocolate chips, walnuts, whatever it is, baking soda, salt, but each of those things are like essential to getting that cookie on the other side of it. And, and I see like the programs that you run now for, for women typically, although men also come, but you take these journeys where you go to these sacred areas. Can you say anything at all about some of the, what are some of the elements Uh, or ingredients to your recipe that you're using now just how does that how do you feel about that now
1: yeah that's a good question Um, a lot of it does have to do with my relationship and ability to connect and communicate with nature Mm -hmm. so so before I put a trip together I'll really envision the land I'll just Mm -hmm. in creation really put myself in that country I'll read the mythology some of it I already know But I'll always dig deeper, you know, for other Mm. other stories and so forth that has come out of that land and the people from there. And I will typically get a lot of insight as to where I need to bring my group. And whenever I have put a trip together and thinking, oh, this will be so easy to put together because I'll just use the same itinerary I did last time I was there. As soon as I do that, it's... I can just, I can feel that everything about that needs to change, that I have Mm -hmm. to go someplace entirely new. And so that's how it begins is really sitting with the land and seeing where is it that I need to bring my group to. And then when I I would say the important part of the recipe is that I am a little nutcase when it comes to details.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I want to make sure that Every detail before I go there is 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 handled. The hotels are the type, they have the type of feeling. They're not just yeah. a hotel, but they're going to add to the experience, the type of lodging. Working with local guides that I've become very good friends with, many of them, having right. them share their own knowledge of the area is really wonderful, but as long as I have that like, really solid structure, then it's like the magic can happen because I'm not running around putting out fires. I'm not running sure. around doing all this stuff during the trip. Instead, I'm bringing them to these places and everything has been planned out and it's really well held. And then I, it's like what I do here. It's like what I'm sure you do too when you're running a program. Your awareness just expands out beyond the belief that you're holding everything Right. and beyond the belief that you feel that you're, that it's all up to you, that you're alone in the situation and holding it. I know that I'm never alone in holding these journeys. I know that I'm working with the unseen worlds and the beings of those worlds. I know that I'm working with the land. Um, I know that I'm working with the elements Mm. and so I never feel like I'm holding the whole thing and because of that, I think that's where the magic comes in. I just got back from Ireland with a group and the trip was the the theme of the trip was the call of the Kaliak and the Kaliak is this very, very ancient creation goddess. Um, She's in um, Ireland she's in Scotland and other parts of the UK but very this is very powerful primal nature and so that was the theme of my trip I was bringing my group into experiencing the primal nature of the land and their own primal nature right. and they were just going with me <laughs> Sure. <laughs> They've been other trips with me, a lot of them and so forth. Um, I don't think they probably really thought about what they were going to encounter. But the day that we were going down into the Barra Peninsula, that's the place of the Kaliak, Storm Agnes was just right. pounding the shores of the southwest part of Ireland. Wow. And we checked with our bus driver. Are you comfortable to drive? We kept checking with him because there were branches coming down and so forth. Wanted to make sure, of course, to keep everybody safe. But we, when we got to our one destination, it was right on the shore, a rocky, not really cliff as much when you think of some of the cliffs in Ireland. But definitely at a drop off. We're at a very high point above the water. Yeah. And the rain was just pelting, and the wind was so strong. And it was exactly how I had described to my group the potency of the Kaliak. And mm-hmm. so we had this incredible elemental experience, and that they fully embraced. And I think on a, on a regular day at home, you'd be like, oh, wow, it's really stormy. Maybe we shouldn't go out. maybe we'll stay in or whatever. And so instead we were out in this, just this really wild storm. And it was one of the more powerful experiences, Um, not just because it was such a wild storm and we were in it, but what it represented, it was not just a wind tearing at our clothes, but it was a wind coming and, tearing away at the things that we no longer need to hold on to. And and that was directly experienced by many of my group the next day. They were definitely feeling things being old family stuff, things just being torn away. So they got, they really got and understood the power of the Kaliak and the land.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's always an interesting thing when Someone comes into a program and they go, oh, I think I know. And I intellectually understand what I'm going to do. And then next thing they're building a shelter in the rain or something. And they're like, okay, this is, this is getting real. And for you taking them to that, like those really special places and experiencing that, it's just, it's a night and day experience for sure. Yeah. 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 So what kind of, what other places do you, do, have you gone with your groups or with Helene Helena.
1: A lot of the places that I went with Helena, I'm now taking my groups to. Mm-hmm. A lot of Ireland and Scotland and England and France and Egypt, such a strong connection between Egypt and the UK that a lot of people don't realize. And, and I have others that hopefully Greece and Turkey that I'll get to it at some point. But it's, yeah, a lot of them... A lot of them are the Celtic lands. I think because my background is a lot of Irish, a lot of Scottish, English, Welsh, German, that Celtic tradition has sure. was such a part of me and resonated with me before I even knew what Celtic was a really long time ago. So I bring my groups to a lot of these different ancient sacred sites that, again, as I remind them, Even though there's a stone circle and even though there's a temple, there's a reason that they built it here and it was something to do with the land. So rather than connecting so much with the temple, connect with the land because that's why it's here. So they have super powerful experiences and I bring them into caves too because there's something so powerful about going into the darkness and going into the earth. It's such a, it feels like an anchor when you go in and it just really pulls you deep, deep down into your roots. And so all through those areas, especially Southern France, there's a lot of old initiation caves. And sometimes there's, it definitely brings up fears if some people are claustrophobic or just not used to going into a place where there's going to be absolutely no light. I remember when I remember taking a group in southern France to this one very old Cathar initiation cave where it had seven chambers or seven birthing chambers. And the chambers were fairly large caves where we could all comfortably fit in. But wow. the passageway between each chamber was maybe three feet wide and for some maybe two feet two and a half feet above the ground. And right. so you had to get down on your stomach and just pull yourself with your arms. And meanwhile, meanwhile there are these little stalagmites, the little right. things popping up that were right between that passage. So you'd be going through and all of a sudden get one of those right, right in your ribs. And at that That's
0: point,
1: <laughs> yeah, you also know me that when I get into really uncomfortable situations like that, I just start laughing because there's not really much else you can do. So you right. just get into it. My whole group was in hysterics at different times because we were so tired pulling ourselves through one chamber after another, but it was such a birthing process. And then we had to come back out the same way. It wasn't like we the exit was on the other side. But right. uh, that, again, even though they were very hesitant and concerned, it became one, it was one of their most memorable experiences. I still talk about it, the different people that were with me. And darkness, Every all life begins in darkness. True. And I think it's something that we have, we've gotten away from embracing.
0: So. Yeah, no, that's true. That's really true. It's definitely a unique experience if you somebody might think, oh, I'm going to go on a sacred journey and we're going to go to this temple and then I'll go to the gift shop and then we'll get on the bus and, you know, it won't really affect my life too much. And then your trips seem to be um, a little bit different. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Because when I say it's going to be an initiation, I really mean it. Yeah. And the initiation, it's, Every initiation has fear guarding its threshold. And if you're either going to face that fear or you're gonna run from it, but they are true initiations, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and it's terrifying. I, I, I oftentimes will try to remind uh, some of my staff when we would be running a camp and I would say, okay, the students coming, they don't really know what we're gonna do. And it can be pretty scary for them it's easy to forget just how scary it is to have to then make that st- step across that threshold and actually be ready to walk across that bridge or cross the river or whatever. And
1: yeah, and I,
0: yeah
1: I do have a lot of compassion <laughs> for the people. I try to prepare them as much as I can before the journey. I offer meditations and just a way to massage the mind and get into the whole essence of the initiation and the mythology of that land and yeah
0: right. just get them a little, little bit in the headspace so they're not winging it on their own but
1: yeah it's right. well there's also times where we'll be sitting on a seaweed bath
0: that's true too or,
1: yeah something that just feels really wonderful and is luxurious in that moment yeah
0: sure or like you said, you've said before, like some eating at some of these really nice places where the food is just really excellent and the accommodations are really beautiful and everything. So it's a whole mix of experiences. So yeah. I can imagine it really nurturing and really fun. Yeah.
1: yeah. After those experiences, I remember Helena always saying this, she said... The work that you're doing on the inner plane, as well as the way that you are stretching yourself in so many different ways by the places that we're visiting and crawling through and so forth, that you want to return to a really nice place where you get a really good night's sleep. I wouldn't want to pitch a tent. I wouldn't want, want to pitch
0: a tent or be in a holiday inn or some place that might be a little bit sketchy or something.
1: Yeah, no, instead, that's so much a part of it to be able to nurture yourself through the experience and have like really good food and experience the culture of the people and have a really nice cozy bed to sleep in and get a good night's rest. Yeah, that's important.
0: Yeah, it really, it sounds like you have a great recipe. That's for sure. I know pretty much whenever you offer a program, it seems to fill up pretty fast. So uh, people seem to pick up on that. But I'm just curious, I shouldn't say curious, Uh, I know you've just finished writing a book and it's launched this week. So I'm curious about, can you tell us a little bit about your book that you wrote and just give us a taste of it if you can.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's called When the Dark Mother Calls and it's essentially about when I first met Helena or actually when my life started falling apart and I met Helena right, and I started traveling with her to sacred sites, even as foreign as it felt to do that in so many ways, because I had two little kids at home and so forth. Um, there was, it was almost like I had no choice. Mm-hmm. It was that much of a call. And so my book is about those experiences of traveling to the different sacred sites with her and experiencing firsthand the initiations. But then also returning home to my family, to you later on after we met. And how do I bring how do I bring who I am returning as? because I always would go through such a huge shift in awareness and consciousness how do I bring that home and integrate that into our life? Because it always changes your relationships. It changes the family patterns. It changes the family dynamics, not just with our own family, but going back through our lineage. The integration process was always a big part of the experience and a part of the work. And it's, and I think it's, super important because a lot of times I'll hear people want to keep returning to a place because they had a really magical experience. But if you learn how to really integrate the shifts and the changes into your life, then the true goal is to have a magical life, to be able to experience in your own home and not feel you have to escape your home. So a lot of times back then, I would really study what were the ingredients of that mystical experience I had elsewhere and how can I have it here? Was it my mindset? Was it that I really believed in the, the power of this experience where when I'm at home I'm too busy cooking for everybody or whatever? But so that's essentially about what my book is. It's a series of initiations that are very in line with the ancient divine feminine initiations that have been oftentimes forgotten Mm -hmm. or not oftentimes were forgotten, although they're coming back online now. And so it's a very intimate experience of what it was like for me to go through those initiations and, Go through the changes that I needed to go through. Right and, right. and the dark Mother, to me, is essentially that that deep earth potent energy, that primal energy that has so many stories and taboos around it and so, so much wrongful myths right. around Fear it and, yeah yeah. Been, there's so many stories over the years and religion and so forth that has turned us away from the earth, turned us away from our own primal nature. And and it's just it just breaks my heart when I hear somebody think of the earth as, oh, hell is on earth, because that's not how that's not how it needs to be. So that what I hope people get out of it, not just with resonating with the initiations and the lessons, but to learn to really turn towards that aspect of themselves and the earth and mm. Find the deeper truths beyond the wrongful myths.
0: Yeah. When you go through those initiations, like if you just don't integrate, then it you kind of lose the power of the whole thing. Yeah. Right. That's great. Right.
1: You want to embody it. That's a, mm-hmm. a big part
0: of it. Oh, so that the work you're doing, is seems to be really important. I feel like you really work with a lot of uh, people who are leaders in their communities who come to work with you and people that are coming also to do their own healing and grow and i'm really excited i'm really thankful that you're doing that work and making these things available so that they're not hidden and that they're not lost and so i just really appreciate you doing that because it's something that is like nature education it seems like when we when we go out in nature we start to touch on those things and if we don't really have people mentors guides to help us through those things you can feel it but you don't quite know what to do with that feeling and and so it seems like both your book and also the work you're doing is really pointing in that direction that yeah really needed
1: yeah i love the people that i work with they're doing such wonderful things out in the world mm. and i feel like i'm here in the woods in <laughs> stirring my cauldron. <laughs> reaching into that expansive space of what is it that's going to take us to weave a new world. And so that's what I share a lot with the people, the leaders, because they're sensing there's a different way that they want to lead. There's a much more feminine way to lead. And they're sensing that there's a new world upon us, but what is that new world that's upon us? How do we be, how do we, become in resonance with that new world so that we can actually begin living it as a way of creating it. So those are lots of the kinds of conversations that we have and they're just really great conversations.
0: Absolutely. Thanks so much for doing this and being here. Uh so your book is available online at I probably imagine like Amazon or uh, other booksellers are getting it.
1: Yeah, it's on Amazon right now. And I'll probably have a bunch of books too that can be bought directly from me, but the easiest way is to yeah, hop on Amazon. Yeah.
0: And then tell me what's the name of your website, your sacred journey.
1: Yeah, my personal website where I have online programs is com, And then my sacred journey page is sacredmountaintours.com. So that's where I've got my different sacred journeys right now. It's got that's open for next fall.
0: All right, yeah, that sounds sounds good. Thanks so much for coming on. I know people can find you on Instagram and Facebook as well, so that'll be nice. You'll have all those links to your work on in the show notes for those of you that are listening right now. And uh, thanks so much for being here and sharing all this. It's amazing how much I learn from everyone that's on the show, even if it's somebody that has been like by my elbow for twenty something years. So, thanks a lot for doing all this for the.
1: yeah
0: thanks thanks for listening to today's episode and for all the things that you do to help build a world that is connected to nature